Hi guys, it's Laura with the trigger warnings for this episode. We are putting on warnings for mental and emotional abuse, sexually explicit content, and discussion of ableist language. Please take care of yourselves and enjoy the episode. Our escape hit the papers yesterday, and the tabloids had a field day. On the second page of the Daily Press, there was an old picture of me and a sketch of a white mouse. The headline read, Moron Genius and Mouse Go Berserk. Hey look, it's, hey, a, look, butterfly. it's a butterfly. It's a butterfly. Welcome to Reading Rainbow. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Can I take over? <laughs> Can I run this show? Yes, you go. <laughs> okay. Go, Laura. What are we? Or what is Reading Rainbow, you ask? I do. I do ask. Go ahead. Well, Reading Rainbow is a podcast where we read books that you might have read in middle school or high school or whatever. And we kind of dissect and take a deep dive to see what was worth it and what wasn't in these reads well how are you ellie i'm good okay. how, are you? how are you i'm obviously i'm doing great. oh i'm great too and how are you jeff <laughs> what who are you <laughs> I, I'm, I'm jeff welcome oh, jeff oh hey hi friends what are you doing here jeff i i came to to read a book and talk about it with my friends over here at reading rainbow not to be confused with reading Rainbow. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah we don't Burton. say that here. That's <laughs> the no-no word. Um, yeah, so we have a new pal here, a new pal on Reading Rainbow, Jeff. Um, and you chose our book for this episode. Yeah, so what book did you choose? Uh, I chose a book that I read in middle school mm -hmm. and was part of a theater production as well in high school. And I chose Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so Jeff, uh, have you listened to our show before? Because I'm not going to lie, we've had guests on here who've never listened to a single episode, and yet they have the audacity to come in here and mm -hmm. try and steal the show. Is that you? I'm not that audastic. <laughs> I've listened to the first five episodes of you guys' podcast, and then I got really <gasps> busy with life. I know, I got through at least five episodes. Honestly, that's uh, Yeah, that's, that's impressive. Uh, you get an award for that. Uh, I'll be honest with you. You're like the first fan we've ever met who's like not a f our family, oh. and our fan and our families aren't even fans, or at least mine aren't. No offense to us. Yeah, but they're not like avid listeners. You know, I don't think they've listened to five. Mm -mm. I'm, I'm I'm honored. I often are. I hear that you shouldn't be bringing on your family to be your fans because it's going to mm. totally mess with the algorithms that are going to bring the people in that you actually want to listen to. Oh. Yeah. So that's a. I didn't even know we should be worried about our algorithms. <laughs> yeah. Are we talking about like Apple podcasts, like Steve Jobs's algorithms? Uh, they don't tell you who's did diddly. Can I say diddly on this one? Uh, we do swear. Mm -hmm. I mean, diddly. I swear pretty often. So you can say diddly squat, diddly shit. Ooh. diddly dick i don't know options mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i'm a semi-fan yeah well like and it. also you know let's not beat around the bush jeff and i are co-workers so yeah. that's how like i first met jeff because he he is he was and is my superior mm -hmm. so yeah he's not just some dude you got off the street or anything <laughs> yeah it's not just rando jeff this is like boss jeff but anyways yeah so what kind of reader are you 
Ooh. What kind of books do you like to enjoy? What's your relationship with reading? I don't like audiobooks. <gasps> oh. I know. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, my god. I feel gosh. like I should be sitting in the other screen right now. But I can't listen to audiobooks. I can listen to podcasts all day. That's perfectly fine. So maybe if it were like an audiobook de- of a self-help book, I could do that? Yeah. I, well, I think it depends. I think it depends. But, okay, continue. You know, I won't, I'll allow it. I've been reading for a, a lot of years, and I'll almost burst read through books. So I, I typically read like a some sort of fanciful fiction alongside like a either a self-help or a business promotion or like a memoir style book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm usually reading about two books at a time, and I'll usually do that for about four or five months steady, and then I won't pick up a book for like a month and a half and then i'll get back into it so i like interspersed comic books in between a lot of my other readings but uh i'll read just about anything i kind of stay away from like saucy romances but that's that's just me wow nice yeah thank you nice okay anyways so this month we read flowers for algernon by your recommendation and I'm not going to lie, I had never heard of this book before, and I went into it not having done a lot of research. I, like, looked on the Goodreads thing, and it was mm-hmm. tagged as a sci-fi fantasy. And so when I first, when I, like, started listening to the audiobook, I was really expecting, like, outer space and maybe, yeah. like, Mice King fights because <laughs> I saw that there was a mouse in a lot of the book covers and then it just like was not as high sci-fi fantasies i thought it would be yeah i thought that based on the title alone like i had no background i was like oh flowers for algernon that's probably something like i don't know like king arthur type fantasy for kids something very like childlike kind of like tale of despero and then i found out it was about a mouse and so i thought i assumed that the narrator was a mouse at first and i was like wow he's writing this all out that's cool yeah so wait so you read this in middle school for was it like English class or like fun, fun, fun class? I have a faint memory of reading it in middle school. And at this point in time, I didn't realize there was a novelization of the book. So when I had approached you about reading Flowers for Algernon, I thought it was going to be a way shorter story because <laughs> I didn't realize that there was a short story, then a novelization. Got but it. it's a. One of those books that, that I was curious as to, like, why am I reading this? Why are they presenting us with this kind of literature? So, Jeff, you said you read this as a short story, right? Yeah. So that's how it was first published. And it was actually rejected by about seven publishers, according to Wikipedia, because they all wanted to change the ending. Um, and Daniel Keyes, or what's his name, was like, nah. So he kept going. And it published as a short story and then a book. The novel that we are holding all together now in our brains. Not me. Or in our hands. It's not in your not brain or your hands, hands apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my brain. It's there. It's okay. And then talking a little bit more about the author, Keyes became an associate editor of Atlas under editor-in-chief and art director Stan Lee. Ooh. B. Stan Lee. Ooh, One goat. story idea Keyes wrote but did not submit to Lee was called, quote-unquote, Brainstorm. The paragraph-long synopsis that would evolve into Flowers for Algernon. So, 
Could we have, in a parallel universe, have a Charlie Gordon superhero? I hope so. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. And his well, I, crime-fighting I, mouse that sits upon his shoulder? Well, I mean, of course we associate, like, Stan Lee with superheroes yeah. and such. But it says, it says, like, the paragraph-long synopsis of Brainstorm, which was the original one-story idea... It would evolve into flowers for Algernon. So speaking of which, I'm going to read the Goodreads blurb for flowers for Algernon. So we can even possibly conceive what this could have become. Okay. Y'all ready? Great. Mm -hmm. The story of a mentally disabled man whose experimental quest for intelligence mirrors that of Algernon, an extraordinary lab mouse. In diary entries, Charlie tells how a brain operation increases his IQ and changes his life. As the experimental procedure takes effect, Charlie's intelligence expands until it surpasses that of the doctors who engineered his metamorphosis. The experiment seems to be a a scientific breakthrough of paramount importance until Algernon begins his sudden sudden unexpected deterioration. Will the same happen to Charlie? Question mark? Uh, I feel like probably wouldn't be a superhero movie then. Maybe it would be. Yeah, see, with the different endings, that's probably what these other things wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other uh, publishers. publishers wanted it to be something fantastical mm-hmm. that we could build for years and rewrite the story over again. And they then wanted to franchise that 12, shit. 12 mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Yeah. They wanted a Christmas special of Charlie Gordon, <laughs> I guess. But... That doesn't really tell us exactly what goes down in the story. So, Laura, why don't you go ahead and read us your uh, summary? Oh, I would love to. Thank you for asking me. So our narrator is Charlie Gordon. He is an adult who is developmentally disabled, um, and he's been selected for a scientific experiment at, I don't know, a college. So his narration is told through progress reports. So it's an epistolary novel, I guess. Um, and so at first, in his his first reports, he's very good-natured, but he like struggles with spelling and learning, um, retaining information, and also problem-solving. The scientific ex- experiment that they've done has worked on Algernon, a mouse, to increase his intelligence so now he can solve mazes like out of this world so they do it on charlie and it works and he begins to like rapidly absorb new learning and knowledge but this causes what what an english teacher might call internal and external conflicts so like because like ter- <laughs> externally he is chafing against the professors who experimented on him because he's his you intelligence chafing? chafing yeah that just sounds like the only thing that i think chafes is like <laughs> it's like thighs <laughs> I'm like, or like, I would, I would have just said like, there's friction between the two. I'm sorry. That was just well, me being How do you get chafing? Wow. Like, I didn't realize. I know. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that technically it wouldn't work, but it, I Man. think it's like the same reason you would be like, instead of like, he, like he got poked by a stick. You wouldn't say he got penetrated by a stick. <laughs> Because they technically mean the same thing, but they one makes you think of something way different than the other. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be so nitpicky. Go ahead. They were yeah, I don't know. We we're being censored were. on this podcast. God. No, I'm not. I'm I not trying to censor you. Chafing refers to the irritation of skin caused by repetitive friction, usually generated through skin-to-skin contact of multiple body parts. I don't know. I feel like you can chafe against like, so you, so- rough body clothes. Hang on. I don't listen. I do refuse to edit this. Okay, I worked hard on this. So you use that definition. You say that. Charlie and the doctors are irritating each other's skin parts or whatever because they're... Again, I refuse to edit this. Okay, moving on. (laughs) Thank you for your feedback. (laughs) All right. Great. I'm sorry. 
Go ahead. Okay. So, yeah, he's becoming smarter than them. He's learning a lot more um, than them. And internally, he's starting to remember things from his childhood that he didn't have access to before. And they are very traumatic memories. He also realizes that the people he thought were his friends in his old life were actually really taking advantage of him. And so it's very sad. Eventually, however, since he is taking care of Algernon the mouse, um, he, Algernon begins to lose his intelligence um, and he becomes very self-destructive and eventually dies. So Charlie realizes the same thing is happening to him and so he continues to record his reports during this kind of return to his original state. So at the end, he's pretty much at the same level as he was at the beginning and he decides on his own to go to the state home even though he visited it during the middle of the story and he saw that it was a really unhappy place. Uh, but he asks the reader to leave flowers for Algernon. And that is where the title comes from. How about that? Did you have any feedback on that part of the summary? No. Nothing critical. No. I don't remember that last part, but I do remember. I mean, like. Oh, no. No, I do. Okay. P.S. Please, part. if Definitely. you get a chance, put some flowers on Algernon's grave in the backyard. The end. <laughs> I'm not saying it didn't happen. I was just yeah. saying, I don't know. I got <laughs> I'm just reminding you, it's the last line of the story. Well, great. Thanks for answering a question that wasn't even a question. Let's move on to unanswered questions right now. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so in the su summer, you mentioned that he, like, Charlie Gordon is remembering stuff all the time. Yeah. So... Whenever he remembers things, he refers to himself in the third person. And I was wondering, why do you think he does that? And I have my own theory, but I want to hear y'all's. Sure. I think it's um, a lot to do with the fact that he, you know, those are very unhappy memories. Um, and maybe he doesn't want to really inhabit those memories. He doesn't want to be that person who was um, like suffering and who was being belittled all the time. So I think it's, it is a response to trauma. Um, it's the way he's processing it is okay treating that past self as a different person i think distancing himself from the pain to piggyback on that it's almost like a like how one would talk about their inner child mm -hmm. it's very similar in the way that charlie gordon talks about other charlie i have no idea of like what daniel keys's other like uh, professional or educational background is like mm -hmm. but having that sort of like somebody who studied psychology and the way that trauma internalizes a psychoanalysis of self so it's almost viewing as like there is an other that existed before me but i'm here in their place kind of like how like mm -hmm. a i don't know how like robots would become sentient and be like oh yes this was my former shell it still needs a name mm -hmm. but now that i have sentience it's uh, like i have a yeah. name for myself now yeah. One reason I thought maybe is because I think I read somewhere that, like, if you talk about yourself in third person, you tend to be, like, more forgiving and kinder to yourself. So mm -hmm. then I think, I thought maybe it was, like, Charlie's way of being able to forgive himself. But your guys' point also makes me think, like, it might have been, like, he was protecting himself by, like, removing his emotions mm -hmm. and, like, dissociating from his past self in order to, like, process these very traumatic memories that he's trying to uncover. Cause like, honestly, they're all pretty traumatic. Like one mm -hmm, of them mm -hmm. is like him getting like beaten by his parents and like his problem with bedwetting and all that's well, not bedwetting, just like 
Oh, just wedding. Yeah, just, wedding. just, just not wedding. general wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also interesting you said, like, it's a way to be kinder to yourself. I don't know. I think that's interesting in relation to the fact that these other professors um, in the book, they refer to Charlie before the operation as, like, not a real person. Like, they dehumanize him a lot. And they say, oh, well, you only became yeah. a person after the operation. And Charlie really kind of fights them on that language. But I think it's interesting that he also can't really identify with who he was before the operation, too. Like, that's separate from who mm-hmm. he is now. Yeah, no, the robot analogy is, like, interesting because I feel like I, like, I know what you mean where it's just, like, I was Mm -hmm. obviously, like, present and existing at that time. And now I'm looking back at myself and, like, oh, it's a totally different person. It just, like, presents itself to me that way because a lot of it is intellectual probing because you don't see the emotional response grow the way that the, like, the IQ is growing. The whole way that they're measuring how his growth is mm-hmm. based off of his IQ the whole time, mm. which mm-hmm. is um, not a great measure no, anymore. Not not a, not a great. It's not the most humane way to measure a person's worth. Mm. No, yeah, if at all. <laughs> tisk tisk. Mm-hmm. People, wait, what time period did this take place in? The fifties. We're looking up. Let's see. I know it took place from March of one year to oh, September yeah, of yeah. the same year. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, I totally did notice that uh, in his journal entries, Charlie skipped over 420. <laughs> <laughs> Went straight from, I think it was April 18th. Where to, was he like, on that day? April what 21st was happening? or April 22nd. We I'm need like, that story. Yeah, I guess, maybe he didn't remember. Yeah, can't remember? Hmm. Yeah, well, we all know that history doesn't always age well. History mm-hmm. continues not to age well. Um, I have an unanswered question. So I think I think it's interesting when Charlie remembers how his mom treated him versus his dad. So his mom, at first, very, like, in denial. Like, she thought, no, Charlie is normal. He's like the other kids. He's just lazy. And so, but she would constantly berate him. But his dad, it was interesting, because his dad would be like, no, leave him alone. Or no, can't you see he needs to go to the bathroom? Like, we need to help him out. But the mom kind of overrules him every time, and she always gets her way. So I kind of wonder, like, why didn't, why couldn't the dad get his way? And, like, what, what would be different for charlie if his dad had more of a say in how he was treated that's one that i think about all the time when i'm seeing just kids that i knew and the people that they've become whether it be like your cousins or nephews or nieces and seeing how their development ends up progressing in one direction due to one parent's influence or the other way but who knows it's also you could even go And the direction is like, maybe he wouldn't have had the capacity at that point in time to discern a kindness from a kindness or an absentness from an absentness. Yeah, I had like mixed feelings about both the parents because Mm -hmm. like, I think on one hand, you don't want the message to be you or something that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But you also don't want complacency and or the attitude, well, it's too hard, we're just going to leave it and you're you're like we're not gonna even try Mm -hmm. and so like for the mom i think there were times when she was actively just trying to say like i'm trying to give you all the opportunities that are available to you like that was coming from that place of love but overall it was driven by fear Mm -hmm. anger and shame that he was developmentally disabled so like that's where like you have to draw the line i don't think it was wrong of her maybe to like seek out 
doctors or if she were to like seek seek out groups in her community Mm -hmm. to help support her and Charlie but it was she crosses the line when it's like oh I'm doing this just because quote unquote I want you to be normal Mm -hmm. or like I want you to be as smart as we are or something like that like I want to fix you sure but then on the other hand with the dad I was like skeptical because I was like is he honestly just saying like hey why don't we just love and accept our child the way that he is by Mm -hmm. just like helping him when he needs help and like working with what we have yeah or was it just like hey why don't we just like do the things that we need to and then ignore any other like aspect of his life or like you know Mm -hmm. like still treating him like a human but also meeting his needs I like didn't know if the dad had that understanding of how to balance Mm -hmm. that not that anyone does but that so that's, that's how I felt about the parents and I was like I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I think there are complexes. I mean, yeah, even as much as the dad does sound like the voice of reason, he's still like, he didn't like fight for Charlie like when he was sent away. Mm-hmm. Like, because Charlie seeks his dad out later, like after the operation, but his dad doesn't recognize him. And Charlie just kind of like chickens out and like realizes, like, no, I can't really tell him who I am. And so they never really, they don't succeed in making that connection. Yeah, which I was sad because I like wanted him to tell his dad. Yeah. Yeah, you want you want somebody in his corner. You want somebody like genuinely in his corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, isn't it the reason he doesn't tell his dad is because at that point he also knows that his the results of the operation are regressing, and so he knows that his condition is going to get worse over time. So yeah, I think that clouded so much of his not clouded, but like that went into so many yeah. decisions of not to tell people and not to engage with like his own past a lot mm-hmm. of the time was because because he also reunites with his mom and his sister both of whom thought he was dead mm-hmm. and he like tells them and like reveals his identity to them and the mom has i think alzheimer's or dementia yeah yeah and so he kind of realizes that she is not like capable of understanding who she is or like having any closure in that so he mm-hmm. finds closure by knowing that he can't get closure from her. And then with Norma, he she's like, oh, I want you to stay and help me take care of mom and I want you to be in my life now. But again, he's like, I can't, I don't want to reveal to her that I will not be the same in a couple of days, that the treatment mm-hmm. is like causing damage to my body and my brain. Yeah. So do you have an unanswered question, Jeff? My unanswered question, which is something I think about every time I go through and like reread a book. What are some of the uh, motivational themes that, we all picked up while reading this one. So do you mean like, why do you think the author, what do you think the author was trying to get through? Or are you saying like more individually, like despite whatever the author was trying to do, like what did we see as like motivational themes or like driving themes? I like both. Let's go with both. Both. Mm -hmm. However you want to answer the question. I mean, this kind of gets into like intended takeaways and judgments, but I don't think that Daniel Keyes had the intention of, I don't think this is a, book that like allies oh yeah i don't yeah i don't think it's like disability activist literature you know yeah Yeah, yes Mm. i don't think it's that Mm -hmm. i think now how it's aged over time it could be considered that only because of the like knowledge and understanding we have now Mm -hmm. of that community because it's a showcase of like hey this is like maybe not the greatest representation Mm-hmm. Where this is not the language we should be using. I think Keyes is trying to get his audience to sympathize and empathize with Charlie not being seen as like a human before the operation. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think it's trying to do that, but. Yeah, I guess my answer to the question would be like that it is a tragedy. And by that, I kind of, I mean, a story where you you know it's going to be a, a, a happy ending, but it's 
I don't know. It's not just like, this is a sad, sad story and it's over. <laughs> it's interesting because we, we like Catcher in the Rye was written as a serial and you could tell mm-hmm. because it was like a bunch of like stories put together. But this, it started what? As a paragraph and then a short story and then a novel. So I think that the whole idea was, has been, kind of been baked into it. Like the beginning, middle, end. I think that is really well done. Similar, mm-hmm. So similar to Catcher in the Rye, we kind of talked about in that episode how that is a very, you know, somewhat accurate portrayal of someone with mental illness but it's not really pro mental health and so this one i think is also like it is you know somewhat accurate and a pretty deep dive into a character with this disability but it's not really pro like disability rights yeah even though we can take away stuff away messages like that from the text Mm -hmm. yeah i think also just for the listeners disclaimer you know we are we're trying our best but we're not disability rights uh, scholars yeah uh everything that we say if it's offensive we're sorry and or other people we are so sorry it is yeah. not our intention yeah we're too we're yeah we want to be sensitive and accurate and sorry if we're not <laughs> yeah. yeah apologize yeah uh okay here's another uh unanswered question i had uh have you guys ever tried sleep learning like is that <laughs> is that a thing because so charlie like immediately after the operation is given these like cassettes or something to listen to mm-hmm. while he sleeps and what weren't the cassettes just like someone saying remember 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 like or like i or remember something. And, like, i think to prompt him he yeah he said he couldn't really tell what it was saying but that was also pretty early on in the book and they kind of reveal later that he doesn't remember things accurately at that time so we don't really know what the tape said but i was like that's wild uh i i've never tried mm-hmm. it personally but when i was in marching band um and i was in the rhythm section our like instructor said that she was told once that to like learn how to keep a beat you should go to bed with a metronome playing by your bed <laughs> but she's like but don't do it because it just gives you a headache <laughs> and it doesn't work oh my gosh so no but i would imagine because of that i would probably never try i'd be like nope i'm good i will learn at the pace i learn i yeah no i've never done no sleep learning i think the closest i've gotten is one i'll listen to music while i sleep and that's always a mistake because my mind will definitely like internalize what I'm hearing mm-hmm. in- and incorporate them into my dreams. And it always like turns into a nightmare. And then like every once in a while, if I'm when I'm having trouble sleeping, I have this audio file that my friend from Korea sent me. And I don't know like any of its, I don't know its credibility or anything. It's just a guy. Like he sounds like a, I don't know, he sounds like a credible guy, but it's like a, a guy like, <laughs> telling you he's just like, I don't even remember because I'm usually asleep by the time it gets to the talking part because it opens with like ocean waves and then like it like a sound like uh, fades in and then it's like, this is a blah, blah, blah. It sounds like the voice of the guy who's like, this is the fitness Graham Pacer test. <laughs> it sounds like that guy. But oh he's my not gosh. telling me to run. He's telling me to like feel my body or something. I don't know. That is but the voice of nightmares actually. Sleep learning? <laughs> I've never done any sleep learning. Uh, I was looking into it real quick. The concept of sleep learning, or hypnopedia, as it's called, hey. has been around for a long time. And according to the first four scrolls down Google, they say it works. So Is it usually yeah. for, like, oh, okay. languages or people? Yeah. Like, what are people learning? Duolingo was the first thing that popped up. Oh. So if you want to... How do you do Duolingo reference. when you're asleep? Well, there's well, they probably have like a program yelling at you. Wow. Like the uh, that episode of uh, 
Dexter's laboratory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Because that's that's the other thing. I, that's the other only thing I know about sleep learning is that one episode of that little cartoon Dexter where he has to study French right and but like didn't so the night before his test he just like puts on headphones of someone speaking French like a French lesson but then the track gets stuck on this one part and it's just omelette de fromage which just means like cheese omelette. <laughs> omelet. yeah. Can I do my question? Yes. Ooh, yeah. Laura, okay. what's your unanswered question? Okay, so Charlie when he's living his life, he has so he has two two kind of romantic interests. One's Alice and the other one's oh, what's her name? Faye. Yeah. So he's got those two. But then he and he has he knows the professors at the college, but he doesn't have any like other guy friends. So I'm like I'm like why doesn't he have guy friends? It's kind of funny because it's like it, it almost continues to play on the alienation. Like you said, the only people that he has like truly accessible to have the like genuine human connection with is a would mouse. be the the yeah. artist who knows no boundaries and knocks like into his window and mm-hmm. or the previous teacher of his. So it's like he never really has that chance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait. I also want to say, because yeah. we talked about Catcher in the Right earlier. I'm going to bring it back again. The, the, the part, men having sexual encounters with women and, like, them just being prostitutes or being, like, portrayed as a prostitute. I mean, like, in Catcher in the Rye, he, like, literally purchases a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Like, he ends up not doing anything with her, but he's also like, ugh, I was depressed. Why didn't this girl make me happy? And you're mm-hmm. like, that's problematic, but whatever. And then in this one, like, Faye is not a prostitute, but, like, Charlie Gordon, in his logs, writes how he's just like, whenever he wants, because he has a, he's romantic feelings for Alice, mm-hmm. but, like, his subconscious is, like, for some reason not letting him because it's, like, triggering a trauma for him. Yeah. But with Faye, he, like, recognizes, he's like, yeah, I'm not triggered by anything by her, and maybe it's, like, I don't think of her as, like that important to me or something like that. And so that's why mm-hmm. we had sex. And I'm just like, that's basically treating her like a prostitute. I mean, like, I'm trying to be yeah. aggressive and all, but I really don't think he was thinking, oh, this is a friends with benefits thing. I feel like he was thinking like, oh, she's an object. No, and yeah, and just... he's like, he uses one to get over the other. I'm like, it's confusing, so I don't oh. know which is which. But like, yeah, it's not it's not an awesome, like, a great equal friendship either. From the male perspective, it sounds very familiar to middle school which is terrible because it's like it's a known fact that males develop emotionally slower than women do or are female identifying Mm -hmm. and we're definitely very true in my growing up Mm -hmm. is that we didn't have an emotional depth we didn't know how to connect through that when we weren't taught how to have conversations concerning our emotions which is still problematic because mm-hmm. in my opinion the whole boys can be boys mm-hmm. things or, or are being boys they should be like mm. abolished because <laughs> it's like that just enables men to continue to stay emotionally stunted mm-hmm. and i think that that charlie showing up in that relationship with miss kinian or Alice, yeah. is that mm-hmm. kind of hold back of that lack of emotional growth. Whereas when he is able to be with Faye, he views it as less of an emotional burden. 
or less of an emotional attachment. But yeah, that is a good point. I think that Charlie doesn't really, and he doesn't like let himself be vulnerable with the, the other men in his life. Although to be fair, like he doesn't meet that many people outside of his like the experiment bubble. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. and like he's got his work friends because he like works at a bakery and everyone's making fun of him and always like laughing at him, but he doesn't realize it. And then he has the operation and he becomes aware that, oh, these people are not my friends. And then they ask him to leave. And then once he realizes he's going to regress, then they allow him back to the bakery. And then all of the, all of his coworkers who were once mean to him are like now defending him. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't think it's because they had like a change of heart. I think it's because they felt bad. And I guess that is, I like at the time we would think, oh, how sweet. What a happy ending for Charlie because like people are standing up for him. Yeah. But now we see it as like, no, these people were still just like pitying him. And they were also like nicer to him because Charlie fell back into the role that like they like he, he should be in originally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the the like interaction with the people in the bakery is really interesting cuz they yeah, at first he thinks that they're all friends, but then like when he starts to be able to do his job better, they start to really resent him. You're not in your place. Yeah. Like unfortunately, mm. it would be like it was the same reason like when women it's like just, went to school and they were the just like thing. we don't like it and then you're just like you just don't like it cuz there's women there. There's no other reason. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. And also, it's it's a status thing. Like, you're not in your place, but it also makes them feel inferior because they also can't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what they were just like, yeah, the guy before us, like, he fucking sucked, but he was the only one who could do it. And now this guy's coming in mm-hmm. and showed you know, us all up. He was low status and showed us all up. Yeah. And also is smarter than us emotionally. Right. Yeah. I have one more. Charlie is like, what, the smartest person in the room? Why didn't he use his powers for evil? Because I feel like you could just go and ruin the stock market or you could go and invent a flying uh, hospital or something. And like, why didn't he? Why would he not go, not just go for this, shoot for the moon, you know? I imagine if I all of a sudden became ridiculously intelligent and learned how to like, manipulate the ways of of humankind probably buy into like cryptocurrency and (laughs) retire on the beach or something and not bother with anybody yeah we'd finally know what bitcoin was yeah or the efts or whatever (laughs) maybe maybe we aren't inherently evil who knows Ah, i think that we are but here's why i don't think he because i think he was he was doing his own evil on himself Because here's the thing. I think also this might be ableist language, but like if your starting point was like you could not even hold memories and you like could not process certain emotions and really just Mm -hmm. like like, understand social cues on such a level. And then in the course of like two or three weeks, then you just become like super high emotional intelligence and Mm -hmm. like general intelligence and all that. Like he was more looking inward and was focusing all on himself. Yeah. He was like focusing on his past traumas, his past relationships, his current relationships and the differences between the two. And like, he was just like too wrapped up in Mm -hmm. what was going on with him. And he was also figuring out like sexuality and what that was for him. Yeah. That is a lot that's on his plate. That's fair. Especially past traumas. Like that's probably going to occupy a lot of your mind. No, yeah, I yeah, that makes sense. He's busy. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. All right, well, I think we should move on to unintended takeaways and judgments. Yeah. Hello, guys. In complete transparency, we took a bathroom break and got snacks. 
I did nothing but watch a dance-off video between some adults and a toddler. Nice. Nice. Who won? The toddler. <laughs> Good. Just kidding. I don't Can know. Can you imagine the toddler not winning and the parents are like, ha ha, <laughs> you dumb baby. Now you don't Sad get baby. snacks. Yeah. Um, we're going to start off with Jeff because Jeff is the one who's actually read this in school. Yes. I haven't and Laura hasn't. So what do you think were, why do you think you had to read this in school? Like, what do you think they, your teachers wanted you to get from it? And then what did you actually get from it? If it's, if they differ. Uh, so looking back on it, I think my takeaway was like, what can science do as far as like, where can science progress you? What sort of things can you achieve through that? And I think the lesson that I got out of that was that you shouldn't play God. And this is like middle school, Jeff, little Jeff, Jeffrey. <laughs> Young Jeffrey. <laughs> um, and I, I was thinking just like, yeah, no, you also be kind to animals because mm. mice are important and they make a lot of sacrifices for the scientific community, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so that was what I had taken away from when I was young. Now I kind of look at it as a nature versus nurture thing and how you need both of those to raise children who are going to hopefully be contributing and like functioning members of society in some way or on the other aspect of it even if you don't have to take the capitalist approach is to at least be humane with other people around you so i, I did it just makes me think a lot about how people very absently raise their children how there isn't a whole lot of um intentionality, intentionality behind it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah what the heck Laura, what about you? What, yeah. what do you think the intended takeaways were and what were your judgments? Yeah, um, I think that for me, I focused a lot yeah, on the disability, I guess, rights slash ableist themes of the book um, because it is, I mean, it calls attention to a lot of out outdated language, things like the R word, but they also just use like a lot of dehumanizing or like diminutive language because in when charlie visits the state home where they um take care of people with developmental disabilities they they refer to them as like children even though they're all adults i mean not that it's much better now i don't know it's because like you mentioned earlier how um charlie's mom could have like reached out to the community and found like support groups for her and for charlie and i think that or, i mean i'm assuming it's much less common then than it is now for her to be able to get yeah. that support especially and like in his school because like his school wasn't helping charlie at all i mean it just kind of shows like a lot of the problems without offering a lot of the solutions is kind of how i mm. took away from it it's yeah there's a lot of examples of like not having compassion for people because when charlie sees another person who's like maybe like him in a restaurant and what that guy he like breaks plates or something or he drops a tray and then everybody everybody including charlie starts to laugh at him but then he kind of he's horrified because he he recognizes that like oh that's what would have happened to me mm -hmm. yeah yeah he feels like he's like i just betrayed myself and like mm -hmm. the community and right yeah so i think that yeah you could use this book as like a way to highlight those deficiencies in society but it also doesn't offer like offer solutions really right it's just like shining a light yeah, right. So it kind of gets you halfway there. 
the other major takeaway we have is like kind of the there's the assumption that like with Charlie that if he gets smarter and he gains this intelligence that he'll be happier and that he'll be more of a person he'll be more valuable and he'll have more friends and all these things and those are different assumptions made by him and like the professors and stuff um and that's kind of just like not true I mean well society does view him as more valuable but to, only to a point because they still see him as like an experiment when he goes to these conferences kind of along a similar line like memories versus happiness because like he thinks that if he's able to remember stuff he'll be like you know better off but you know accessing those traumatic memories caused him a lot of pain and so i think yeah just so that correlation is kind of like shattered in this book it's i don't think it's like not as simple as saying well is he better off or not it's kind of just kind of like a schrodinger's cat thing is the happiness there in the box or is the happiness dead in the box if I open the box, does it get rid of the whole experiment? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think I think what the intended takeaway was, it was supposed to instill empathy and sympathy for the audience with the developmentally disabled community. Mm-hmm. That's what I think the intention was. Sure. Um, unfortunately, I think it might have just been because at the time that was just the language we used and we didn't have the foresight to know that it was ableist language, but like it's still presented in a pretty condescending manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helps that the point of view is from Charlie himself versus like one of the psychologists or Alice or Faye or something. Overall, the intended takeaway is that it's lacking like the allyship and the, the lack of support for activism for disability rights. Mm-hmm. But I, and I also didn't realize like how much the language did affect my view of the people because mm-hmm. if they keep using boys, I'm going to envision like young children. But what they mean yeah. is, I guess, like they're trying to colloquially talk about their developmental state. But yeah, right. I didn't realize like how much that actually affects the way that I am even like imagining them in a book. No, yeah, I think the language, like the language is really important. I mean, both within this book, but also just like in disability rights because like like language changes a lot and because in our research for this we debated on like a lot of the language we were going to use because mm-hmm. we want to be respectful of uh, things change and like yeah the language definitely affects how you see the yeah. people they talk about it just made me think the way that like uh, wolves are mis misrepresented because in a wolf pack wolves tend to look after quote-unquote their weakest member Mm -hmm. so whether it be the elderly or the young and our society just doesn't work that way and it's so interesting to me because oftentimes Mm -hmm. like you hear stories of being empathetic you hear stories of being more humane you hear stories about embracing your humanity and and too often we get muddled up in what that truly means well, I feel like it's because it's driven by, like, human capital. like And human capital can encompass a lot of stuff. It's, like, emotional intelli- intelligence, physical ability, social status. But u- ultimately, like, you have these factors that you want that are, like, desirable. You're not saying that wolf packs are perfect, but uh, at least they're t- taking care of everyone. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, there's, like, self-care versus collective care that I've heard before that mm-hmm. where... We can promote self-care, and, I mean, that's good to take care of yourself, but, like, collective care would mean that you don't... It's not up to you to make sure you're okay, because your environment should be making sure you're okay on its own. Like, instead of changing, like, what you're doing, we should work to change, like, what's around you so that everybody can get taken care of in society. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, I have a very fuzzy grasp on it, but I I find that idea fascinating. I feel like, depending on who you ask, 
you have bits of that here and bits of that there, but who does it serve? Does it serve us all? Does it only serve people that look like me? Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Sorry. Like who is not being helped here? <laughs> I brought a heavy one this month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah. We were we were not ready <sighs> for this text. I have to say. <laughs> well, let's move on to ratings. Um, I will start, and I will give this a 6 out of 10. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was pacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, biggest thing in, like, a positive um, aspect oh. was pacing. Uh, it was really engaging to listen to. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it was like, because it was the condensed time period of, like, eight, month, mm-hmm. eight months or something, and there was, like, you kind of, like, you know what's going to happen in the end, and so it's really is not to be too cliche but that once you know what's going to happen in the end it's all about the journey and not the destination you already know the destinations now you want to know like how do we get there so i did enjoy that Mm -hmm. i don't give it you know like higher than that just because it does have these the problematic language and also just like his i'm like still rubbed a little bit the wrong way about like female representation in this but Mm -hmm. um for myself Initially, I was like, no, this is a seven. And then younger Jeff was like, I like this a lot. Maybe it was a nine. And then I conferred with my myself after rereading it again. And I think I'd give it a six for a lot of the same reasons. Because mm-hmm. a very well-paced story, very well-told. But also, I wouldn't recommend the book without context, if that makes sense. I wouldn't be like... Mm-hmm. hand it over to a 14 year old and be like yeah no just read this and tell me all of your thoughts yeah <laughs> and I, it's something i would like to guide somebody through mm-hmm. or like walk along with them so solid six for me mm-hmm. laura what about you yeah i would go i bounced through a lot of different scores like as high as an eight lows a five and i think i'm i am gonna settle on a five um because it like i said yeah the tragedy structure and the pacing is really well done and especially since it started as like a short story i think it's impressive that it, it helps it holds together so well when it's been extended um, i don't think that really yeah. works for a lot of stories but yeah there i do want like more from it in terms of yeah the the treatment of different genders because it is very gender normative like i have to say they didn't mention any professors yeah. not being men that is a failure for me yeah and similarly like i said it points out a lot of flaws in society but it is outdated and it's just like yeah it doesn't go into like solutions it's really just about the problems and it has its own value of course that way but kind of like jeff said you need to like like i like i'm getting the messages about disability rights because i'm a that's from coming from me that's the spin i'm putting on it it's not coming from the text itself you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah it's because yeah. you're, you like, you're uh-huh. already on the path of like putting in the work right to be as that's but it's not the book is it's not like the book is teaching me about that but yeah, so in addition to all that, it just wasn't that fun to read. Like I read it in a day because the pacing and what like kept me going. But it was like very like I just felt bad after reading it. I was very tense because of all the trauma. And that's like that doesn't make it a bad book, but it made it a bad read, you know, like just for me personally. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um. OK. Do we want to move on to our recommendations? No. Well, Laura speaks for all. Just yes. Oh, good. <laughs> Okay, so another book that I would recommend that reminds me of Flowers 
for Algernon because it's very similar in that it like sheds light on mental health. This being like a mental condition. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the right term, but specifically for schizophrenia. But it's also like not activist literature would be Hidden Valley Road, which I also think I recommended the last episode, but I'm going to recommend it again. It sheds light on a situation and it like gives an account for this family and the history of schizophrenia and the treatments that were available and are currently available and like how that's developed over time. So that's mine. Jeff, what about you? The one that I'm throwing out there would be, and this is kind of like one of my personal like favorite things, it would be Please Understand Me by David Kearsay and Marilyn Bates. Basically, it is an MBTI, a Myers-Briggs self-typing book. If you've ever typed yourself uh, through like 16 personalities or anything in that, I recommend a revisit if that makes sense, because a lot of people get mistyped through those things. So if you guys are like psychology, typology junkies like myself. Mm -hmm. I do love the Enneagram. I talk about that shit all the time. So much. Guys, let's all share our Enneagram. I'm a type one. Seven. I'm a type five. I wouldn't have guessed any of those. Anywho. Anyways, Laura, what would you recommend? My recommendation is uh, In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Like, trigger warning, there are, like, there's a, it's a very abusive relationship story. It's not quite as much of a tragedy as Flowers for Algernon was. And it's not, it's not sci-fi, it's a memoir. Um, But it's told in a very interesting way. And also very good pacing. I finished that one really quickly, too. All right, Laura, well, what are you currently reading? And I know for a fact you are currently reading Atonement by Ian Mc, Mc, McEwen. I don't know. Yeah, Mc, Mc... Because I know you're reading that because I'm also reading that for a book club. Yes, I'm reading that. And I'm reading Anna Karenina still. I'm making progress. I have two parts left and it's so boring, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> and that's it. Those are my two currently readings. Nice. What about you, Jeff? What do you... What, 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 what's on your bookshelf right now? I'm reading two books currently um i'm reading untamed by glennon doyle mm. oh. right now yeah and that has been a really really empowering read i like that one a lot um and then i'm reading probably gonna butcher it i'm sorry about this uh the dark forest by jishin liu mm. that's, a, that's your high fantasy it's like, yeah 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 <laughs> it's like this it, it's the second book in the trilogy and I just finished it, and it's so good, and I need to go buy the next one so I can keep reading. But I, if you if you like computers or military strategy or – honestly, it's just a really good book. I'm sorry. It's great. I'll, I'll ramble. That's good. Oh, no. Good. So currently reading. I just started listening to The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, oh. which is – By V.E. Schwab. Yeah. My friend Brenna recommended it to me, and it's about – a girl named Addie who makes a deal with the devil and now she's been living life where like no one remembers her. Like they look away from her and then they turn back and they do not remember who she is. I have a feeling like it's already been mentioned once like and I'm 30 minutes into the book where it's like, you know, what's the point of life if you're not able to make a mark on it? Even if that mark is like imperfect, like, you know, it's still, it's worth it. I have a feeling that's kind of the the gist of it. Um, I'm reading David Tung Can't Have a Girlfriend Unless He Gets Into an Ivy League College by Ed Lin. And then I'm reading Atonement. No comment. Atonement's fine. Nope. Yep. But 
Laura, you said that you keep trying to tell me that you've read so many books. Yeah, just let me brag. So go ahead. Let me brag. So yeah, so sometimes I don't read a lot and sometimes I read quite a lot. And this is one of those times. So since we last talked, I finished City of Lies by Sam Hawk, Siege and Storm by Lee Bardugo, um, The Crossover by Kwame Alexander, My Beijing by Nia Jun. Spoiler alert by Livia Dade, The Deal of a Lifetime by Frederick Bachman, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, The 10,000 Doors of January by Alex Harrow, and Summerland by Michael Chabon. I also, uh, well, I'm going to count this. I read all of the Demon Slayer manga. Um, I don't really know how to put that into Goodreads, but I'm counting that as its own thing. No, that does count. I would highly recommend City of Lies by Sam Hawk. That one, okay, the pacing is kind of slow, but I like it a lot still. It's like kind of a fantasy world and the main character has OCD and it's it's about a city going into a siege it's just you know war and okay, stuff yeah. yeah mine doesn't compare I think mine's only like yours is what 10 yeah I think yeah including the manga I think mine's only 7 or maybe 6 or something I can't count I finished listening to Beloved Beloved by Toni Morrison The Midnight Library by Matt Haig White Fragility uh, by Robin D'Angelo. Finally finished that after, I think I started at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, a Promised Land by Barack Obama. Uh, Night Mother by Marsha Norman. And then The Haters by Jesse Andrews. And of those, I would recommend Night Mother by Marsha Norman, which is a play. And I like went in and I was like, I don't know what this is about, but it's been recommended to me by Kate Aspengren. Oh. And I didn't realize it was a, uh, spoilers, it's a play about a mother and a daughter and the daughter's going to commit suicide by the end of the play. And then they're just, like, having a conversation about, like, why she's doing it. And, like, oh, I want you to stay. So it's just, I was just, like, not expecting that. And I was like, dang. But it was really good. Mm. But heavy stuff. And then it's not the other ones I wouldn't recommend. But they were just like, nah. But the ones I definitely straight up wouldn't recommend. The Midnight Library by Matt Hayes. Oh, yeah. That, that book, I'm so sorry. Respect to anyone who likes it, but like that book sucked like hot trash. Because <laughs> <laughs> the premise was great, the execution was not so great, mm. and there was straight up a typo in there, and it was a pretty important typo. So we will not forgive you. And by we, I mean me. Wait, I have ones I don't yeah. recommend too. I didn't know we were doing this. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Tell us the ones where you're like, don't even waste your freaking time. Well, okay, well, so I would not recommend Siege and Storm by Lee Bardugo, but that's the second in a trilogy. But it's, listen, it's complicated because Lee Bardugo has the trilogy, Shadow and Bone, and the duology, um, Six of Six of Crows. Yeah. And it's becoming a Netflix series where they're combining both of them. And I loved the Six of Crow books. And I hated the Shadow and Bone. The other one I would not recommend is The 10,000 Doors of January. Again, for pacing. Just took way too freaking long. It's a lot of doors. Yeah. Yeah. And January one already month. seems like a long ass time. I know. <laughs> fucking tired of January. Fucking hate it. And there's 10,000 doors? No mm-hmm. thanks. It's like gradually becoming my least favorite month. I don't know. I don't I know what know my I least favorite. One, but if I had to say, it would be January at this point in time. Mm. Just based off of this year or like all of your lives, you've just realized that January's just been the shittiest month for you. Besides like having one of my best friend's birthdays happen in January, January's done me nothing. Mm. It's just been miserable weather, seasonal depression. Mm. Oh, so sad. And yeah, I got nothing I got nothing for it. It's it's a very just non plus month. And I get way too many gym ads and I don't want to go to the gym in January. Because that's when everybody goes to the gym in January. Yeah. Anyways, 
Okay, so those were the books, and now we are ending. We're near the end of our podcast. We just got to do a few housekeeping. Things. Oh yeah. Um, first off, Jeff, we just want to thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah. I realized you are the. Thank you. You are not only the third ever guest we've had on the podcast, but also the only dude. Mm. Oh. So, snaps. Mm. Can't wait really to get breaking the glass ceiling. Ah. <laughs> Just, just trying to be as inclusive as possible here. I love oh, it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listeners are at all interested, I mean, like, probably we want to know you. Like, we won't pick a rando, but if a rando ever emailed us, we might consider it because we don't get just for the novelty, just for the you know, the, yeah, just, just the kicks. because we could. Yeah. But if you <laughs> are interested, um, you can email us. You can contact us via email at readingnotreading at gmail dot com. And that is spelled R-E-A-D-I-N-G-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com. Woo! Laura, talk about our Twitter. Oh, we well, can tweet us at Twitter, too, where the Twitters go. And our handle is RedNotReadPod. I forgot the at. I always do, but you know it's there. Yeah, and that's spelled R-E-A-D-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-P-O-D. Um, Laura, talk about our bookshop. Oh, yeah. So if you ever feel like, I don't know, supporting your indie bookstores, bookshop.org is a great way to do that. They're kind of like Emma, um, in the sense that like they can get them for you slightly cheaper, but they also support indie bookstores with all your purchases. And if you use our bookshop.org shop, you can support us with commissions. And we use those commissions for things like, I don't know, hosting this podcast and other expenses if you want to listen to any of our previous episodes or know how to if you just like i don't know if you just want like a website to go to you can go to our website it's in the episode description jeff what about you do you this is a time for you to share any thoughts any personal projects you're working on anything you want to share to the audience and the audience is really just you in the future (laughs) and my mom i'm i'm working on like 12 different projects so until i have oh my gosh Oh, it's not. Oh. It's not a fun time. Mm. It's great, but it isn't. But yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. Uh, this was a mm. very enjoyable experience, and Thanks. I was very happy to be able to <gasps> chit chat with you two over some books. Yeah, thanks for Hooray. one donating your time, and two putting up with our shit. Yeah, thanks for really taking us on a ride with this book choice. Oh yeah, anytime you need anything yeah. more like a uh, controversial to get into, <laughs> let me know. I like to, I like to mix it up. Oh, you keep it spicy. Mm-hmm. Like that kimchi. Ooh. Yeah, kimchi. Shout out to kimchi. That's what we're plugging. Kimchi, y'all. Well, both the food and the drag queen. But um, <laughs> thanks, Jeff. Thank you, listeners. Laura, I thank you, my co-host. I always thank you. Well, I'll, not out loud. Until I right thank now. you, and I thank you, you and you. You, you, and you. Um, I hope everyone has an excellent April, and we will see them in May when we read Dragon Wings by Lawrence Yep. 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 Oh, great joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye. Say bye. Oh, bye. 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 <laughs>